Now what you hear is not a joke, it's a comedian who's also woke, spreading the word all throughout the nation on white supremacy and its variations. Randolph Terrence gets on the phone, giving you the bars from straight off the dome, and when he's prone to get in the zone, I suggest you back up off the microphone, sometimes he might interrupt the guest, get back on track, cause he knows what's best, and all the rest are on a quest for Max and Gil because they not so fresh. Nevertheless, he will impress, giving you the game that you almost missed. Just a very smooth brother voting Democrat. Cause he's pragmatic, but he's also blind. Dropping gems on how to stay in shape. We moving weight, not up the interstate. Gonna teach you how to hook up that state and stay awake and don't perpetrate. Fuck Chick-fil-A and the NFL cause they are not righteous and he's mad as hell and he will not fail to excel. So just pull up a chair and heed these tales. All your other casters get your weight up. Freddy in your dreams, you got to stay up. Reparations, it's time to pay up. It's time for the man who keeps it straight up. You want to break bread and put your plate up. Enlightenment, we elevate up. Come on, Randolph, it's time to wake up. Tell all the people it's time to wake up. Whoa, foul. Start this. So you are based in Atlanta? Have you always lived in Atlanta? No. I came here in 2003 uh-huh. from Spokane, Washington, oh, inland north. Yeah. What a big difference. Did you grow up in Spokane? No, but I lived there. Um, so my dad was Air Force. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know that. So we kind of moved around a little bit, and we got stationed to Fairchild when I was like twelve. I don't know what it was. Is that Spokane? Yeah, Fairchild Air Force Base in Spokane, and he retired there. So they bought a house there, yeah. and my parents still live there. My brother and his wife um, live there. My other nephew lives there. So um, they just stayed <laughs> and yeah. isn't that always the way it was that's how i ended up we ended up in san antonio my dad got we came back from germany stayed mm-hmm. there retired there that's always the way for the yep. military but was he in the well, air I mean, force yeah air force yeah and they i mean they love it it's four seasons he's a hunter a fisher right, right. um it's you know spokane is great if you want to settle down with your kids yeah and um but there's nothing there but there's like riverfront park and you could like pawn something or uh, eat at a buffet, uh, or buy a car. Well, the, the three big, the big three. Right. The big three. <laughs> all the things you need in life. Yeah. <laughs> What's important in life? Hunting, yeah. pawning. <laughs> when I go home, I see all the people I went to high school with, and they marry their high school sweetheart, they and they have four and they live on Rowan Avenue, and she works at Walmart, and he works at Napa. And I'm like, wow. They all stayed. Let me get back to Atlanta because uh, it's a party. Well, how did <laughs> – party ain't a party. How did you end up in – it? well, why Atlanta? How did you end up there? School? So I have family here. Okay. Um, my aunt and uncle have lived here forever. My, my father is the youngest of nine, I think. And his oldest sister lived here. So they are were elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Anne DeLois was in like her 70s, I think, when I moved here. So I lived with them when I first came here. And then um, 
I have cousins here, third cousins, fourth cousins. So I have family here. And then I have people that I knew in Spokane that moved to Atlanta. So I was like, Spokane is like 8% non-white. And and of that, like maybe 3% are black. You only see black people when you go to church. The exact opposite of Atlanta. Yeah, I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to see black people. Was that a conscious decision that you made? Yes. No, what, so my you... choices were California, where I had a ton of friends, okay. but black men don't date black women in California. Yeah, yeah. What I've heard, some do. <laughs> or Atlanta, you know. I yeah. I need I need black people. I need our culture. I need I need to see brown faces, when, and I want to date men that like black women. And that, when did you <laughs> find that? When did you find that growing in you? Because you say you got to Spokane at twelve. Where did you come from before Spokane? Was it a a present thing in your mind leading up to that? Or did you just kind of develop over time for you? September 11th changed a lot of stuff for for us, for for the city. So Spokane is is a place where cost of living is low. So companies were headquartered there and you could make... LA Microsoft money living in a place where a really nice house might only cost you a couple hundred thousand. Like, you know, a house that nice in Atlanta would be half a million or more. So you'd be making bank, but living where cost of living is low. When September 11th happened, all those companies shut down. Microsoft canceled their contract with Software Spectrum. Boeing closed their, um, they sold their plant. My mom worked for Boeing. Um, they sold their plant to like a smaller airplane manufacturer. Telect closed, Alcatel closed. My company was closing and you have all these people that are going to be without a job in this environment, all just looking for work. All they want is work so they can have health insurance. And I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to compete in that market um, I wasn't going to be able to find another job. And so I said, you know, I know this company is closing. And so I don't want to get stuck here with no job and, you know, have to take something really low paying or have to work a couple of low paying jobs just to make it. So why not go somewhere where I have a better chance? And so, you know, again, my options were LA where I had a ton of friends that had left Spokane already or Atlanta where I have family, there's black people. Um, you know, I could maybe uh, not transfer, but go to a company that did the same thing that I was doing. I could do that in Atlanta. So I just, I sold everything. I think I rented a room in a house for like three months, stacked some money and I packed up my car. I came down here with everything that fit in my little Kia Rio yeah, I remember. <laughs> I called her Rita, and <laughs> I drove for four days. Um, so I was trying to avoid avoid snow. So I went over to Seattle, and then down California, and then across. And then across, and yeah. then I ended up hitting snow in Flagstaff, Arizona. Right, right. So, probably not that bad, as which could have been worse. It wasn't too bad, no. But I could have just drove through Nebraska for that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You got to, but you got to. Don't you have to cross the Rockies if you if you go that way? Do you have to cross the Rockies? Oh, you froze a little bit. A little technical issue. We froze for a second. Oh, I have to do what? Back. You froze for a second. No Not big that. deal. I'm Just close. Look. I'm gonna close all my. Oh, you got everything open. Close all my stuff. Taking up all my internet. You got everything open. 
I think I'm good. So I was saying, when you drive from Washington to Atlanta, don't you have to go across the Rockies at some point? Am I wrong with that? Geography's not uh, special. I, yeah, that's what I, I was trying to avoid. I think if you drive through Colorado... You're going in the mountains, through, no matter what, if you go through Colorado. <laughs> it may not be the Rockies, but you're going I through... It's yeah. Yeah, you froze again a little bit. This might be me freezing. I'm sorry. No, no, it might be me. Are we good? Are we back now? Just closing everything. How many things you got open? I mean, I got a Mac, so they'll just stay open until you close it. Right, 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 right. All right, hopefully. Yeah, no, we're not. All right. We're going to be good. Sorry about that. We're going to be good. How old were you when you made the move? I need to cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you when you made the move? I was 29. Okay. So you had some life life experience at that point. You just weren't a kid joking out of college like, I'm going to... I'm going to make it on my own in this, you know, like I was, I was older. Yeah. yeah, But also sheltered. Right. And also because it was Spokane, there wasn't anything really there to like get into, you know, I went to college and got a job and there just wasn't anything for me. So, right. 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 Well, how do you, once you got to Atlanta, did you feel like you were beginning to find yourself? Yes. Yeah, you yeah. Took a minute. It Ooh, took a minute. It was, I hated it for the first <laughs> this is, year. This is why I like the Skype. Yeah. Because the look <laughs> on your face was like just such a. It was such a look of, of like, the pleasing look you get when you sit on your bed at home at the end of the day and you come in, mm-hmm. take yourself and sit on your bed. It was that same look. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. This was yeah. Really. Yeah. 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 It took. I mean, it took a, a minute. I had to get a job where I could afford to live here and enjoy what makes Atlanta a nice place to live. I hated it for the first year and I was trying to move back, but there was really nothing for me there. Right. So um, I was like, you know what, you just need to stick it out, find a way to make this work. And so I, I ended up like the first job that I got when I moved here, that dude made me cry every day. And I do not cry. Jesus, what was the job? So, he, so it's um, audio systems installation, uh-huh. which I had been, which I was doing in Spokane. So I knew the world. I knew the business. I even ran service calls for my old company. Um, but that guy was not mentally stable. Right. And just took every opportunity to just... You know, I was I was already not really happy and not making enough money and like we weren't getting paid regularly. I was like, sir. Yeah, you had a struggle job. Yeah, it was a struggle. So, you know, I decided I'm just gonna I'm gonna find another job. And so I ended up just doing a lateral move to another job and I ended up staying there for twelve years. Oh, so well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I I just I had to give myself some time to to ramp up, you know, level up, make this work. You can do this. But once I really hit my groove here, yeah, I really, I really, really like it here. I don't, I would not have been happy in Spokane. Now next to the, next to the blackness, which is important. What are the other, the other, sell, sell me Atlanta. If you were selling me Atlanta, what are the, what are the points? Atlanta is one of those places where there's so much going on that nobody makes plans. Okay. Because... 
you could make plans to do this, but like four other things will pop up and then you like have to decide what you're going to do. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm never bored. I could do before pre pandemic. I could plan like an entire day by myself. Okay. It get up in the morning and go to Piedmont park, maybe roll by Woodruff art center catch something at the high museum. I love the IMAX theater at the natural museum of history. Um, you know, go to lunch in Inman park. There's like, there's always a festival. There's always a concert. There's like, there's always a food festival, something national food, uh, come here and eat festival. Right. Right. And Atlanta has, I feel like that's where the players play. I mean, we know that. <laughs> like every day. <laughs> well, so we know uh, that. But so. I don't be out till six in the morning because I'm old. Okay. <laughs> so but you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not a party girl. I'm not out every Saturday night. At Friday night, eight o'clock, I'm I have wings. <laughs> it's a movie, whatever's on Netflix or a law and order if I'm bored or I'm sitting here in front of my computer. Law and order's always on. So always that's, on. That's why I love somewhere. it. Yeah. You always on. It. And it's you one you've already it. seen. You're like, oh, I've seen this one. A hundred times. <laughs> yep. Watch this one again. So but no matter I just which like, law and order it is, by the way. Exactly. Oh, I, saw this one. <laughs> I like I like the weather. I like the people. I like the it's it's slow and it's it's southern. And if your life isn't full of racist white people, um, like I live in a black neighborhood now and I absolutely love it. I didn't think I would like it. But two years ago, I moved to a black neighborhood below I-20. And it's like like it. um, Like when I first moved here, I was real bougie. (laughs) Because full of white people. I feel you. I, I love the honesty. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I don't know about all those black people. Like, you really don't see black people until you go to church. Right. And um, I only were, you know, I had white friends. And, you know, aside from people that I I knew or like, you know, people that were old family friends, it was all white people. So I came to Atlanta and I lived with my uncle in like South South Atlanta and like I pulled into a spot, and some dude was trying to wash my windshield, and I was like, ah, Sweet I don't, man. I don't know butt. what to do. <laughs> my mom was like, "Girl, <laughs> just give him a buck, or just go on about your business." Like, Girl, you black. <laughs> yeah. What are you afraid of? Like I remember driving through Memphis, and I said, "Ma, there are black people in every car." She's like, "Girl, you in Memphis? Like, yeah." How- I don't understand how I raised you to be this person. <laughs> so I need you, you to get used to being around black people. So you knew you wanted to be around black people, but you didn't yes. know you wanted to be around ready. black people. Black people. <laughs> because I think I was ready for like Claire Huxtable black people. Yeah, yeah. They exist. Not like like Rodney black people. Yeah, they exist, but so, Rodney's more yeah. fun. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> from like like Cascade Rodney and so, so it, the, it took a minute the, what yeah. was the change in you so I was I was renting a house and it was just too expensive and it was too much house for me and I had like all these bills and I thought you know what I just again I just need to simplify my life I got a lot going on I'm paying for a lot that I don't need to be paying for 
let's just simplify. I want to travel more. I want more money to go to everybody's beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I need more 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 time, less responsibility, fewer bills. So again, I got rid of all my stuff, all my furniture, all my dishes, all my glasses, all my rugs. Time. It's easier the yep. same time. <laughs> it is. Just uh, take it. I don't. Yeah. I don't even want to sell it. Do you need this rug? Yeah. Take it out of my house. First time's tough. That <laughs> so, second time, once once you do it once, it becomes becomes really easy to do it again. Yeah. again. Everything I own except for my car is in this room. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just simple. And I was like, I don't need I don't need all this stuff. I just I don't I don't need it. I so paid you off. You condoed your life. It did what? Yes. Is that her name? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Marie Kondo. Yep. My, I Marie Kondo'd it, everything. Yeah. Just rid of everything. I mean, I still have boxes in the corner of stuff I still don't need that I need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And all of that is hopefully before the end of the year, that's all going out. But I just, I need, I needed to live a simpler life, mm-hmm. uh, simplify things and to put myself in a better position it's just me and I'm getting older and it won't do me any good to retire with $50,000 in debt, you know? So get to a place where you only spend this much to live right? and pay off those bills. Like I paid off my student loans. I paid off two credit cards. Then I bought a car. That's, that's, <laughs> but, that's you know, manageable. That's- right. But I had, you know, I had that old Toyota uh, Camry that was falling apart. Right. Like if, right. if I could put wheels on the engine I could drive that forever, but the rest of the car was falling apart. Right. Right. So I had to get a dependable car and just let, let's put, let's shove money at these bills. Let's pay that off. And then, you know, you can live the life that you want to live. And right. so right. that that was my whole goal right now is to be debt free before I retire. So um, that's what I'm working toward right now, but I couldn't do it paying a thousand a month in rent and then all this other stuff. No, just get rid of it. Well, so it looks like you made the right choice. Yeah. Living that, yeah. Know, good life. Super happy. In Atlanta, I know the cost of living, while probably not, unless I'm doing air quotes, low, it's considerably less than probably it is here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It, depending on where you live. Again, I live in South Atlanta because um, the rent above I-20 is ridiculous. They're talking about, so we have a one bedroom and it's 1350 a month. I said 1,350 green American folding dollars that's for nothing, a one bedroom. That's nothing up here. That's a, that's a perfectly reasonable <laughs> price. It's <laughs> a perfectly reasonable price up here. Yeah. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. So I had to come on down, down South <laughs> where yeah. Cost of living is a little lower, and there aren't yeah. two brand new stadiums Don't that they where them black folks live. <laughs> so <here> you go. <laughs> and like my first weekend living down here, I was like driving behind a man who's on this electric scooter just in the middle of the street. I'm like, this is South Atlanta. Like I call it black. Yeah, I call it black Starbucks. Yeah, that's just uh, Earl. Uh, he knows. He knows what's going on. You might uh, need him at some. You might need him someday. You never know. <laughs> So, so you settled in there. Uh, sorry. When did, when did yeah. uh, Dominique White become D.L. White, the writer D.L. White? When did that happen? Um, 
So I've been a writer my, like my whole life. Like most writers will tell you, I've been a writer my whole uh, life. Before we go to that, I was did like, you go to school for yeah. it? Did no. See? No. Okay. Well, I did you get an English went degree? to school. I got a communications degree. With like a minor in English or anything like that? A minor in teaching English as a second or oh, foreign yeah, language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. 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 So I, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've been a writer my whole life. I was reading a lot and I was at, in 2008, my brother died in a car accident. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. And, Older or uh, younger? Younger. He was the, he was the baby. He was okay. 22. Right. He left a four month old oh. and, um, it was a lot, uh, especially for my parents. It's still right. very rough, very rough for them. Right. So big reason my brother moved back because he used to live in San Antonio. Okay. He moved back to Spokane because he just, he needed to be near his family. Right. So, um, I'm not an emotive person. Mm-hmm. So I had like all this extra emotion and energy and I needed to get it out. And I was reading stories and stuff online and people that know me know I, I used to write, I still write in sync fan fiction because they're a band that I like. And (laughs) that's that Spokane, that's that Spokane, Washington right there. That's what that is. I love in sync. So (laughs) I was reading it and I was like, huh, well, I wonder if I could do that. I used to dabble in writing a bit. And so I started writing stories and I wrote stories for like three years until um, a non-fan fiction story started building itself in, in my head. And I get to a point with them where I always say the people in my head won't shut up until I write it down. And so certain things will just come to me and it will just roll around in my head until, until I start writing it. And so, um, well, that's kind it, of, you've done it started. according to this seven times. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually writing book number 10. Seven? So it's more than it says nine times. Yeah. Cause I'm yeah. looking at, uh, brunch at Ruby's, which I knew about, mm-hmm. but Leslie's curl and die. The guy next door, second time around the Kwanzaa brunch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that. That's that Atlanta coming out. <laughs> Dinner at Sam's, another part of you started a, a Ruby series. Yeah, and they're all uh, romantic romantic novels based in yep. black love or yeah. lust, as the case may be. <laughs> Either, I mean, they're interchangeable. <laughs> you trying to get that Zane? You trying to get your Zane on? <laughs> Ooh. Um. Ooh, I probably come way, way, way that's, under that's, Zane. That's straight erotica, or a little bit, or it a little is. Eric Jerome yeah, Dickey. She's erotica. Um, yeah, Eric is 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 racier than I am for sure. Yeah, and it's funny um, when you said I haven't read Eric Jerome Dickey in years, but I have read like four of his books mm-hmm. because my wife turned me on to his books. You read yep. a lot of his books. I have, I have. Do you want read, to guess which one was older the first novels? one? You want to which, guess which one the first one of his I wrote? Can you guess? The first one I read? Can you guess? Milk in my coffee? <laughs> <laughs> just guessing. Just, just, just guessing this one and other. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> my wife I actually had, haven't read that one, but I'm just You know, guessing. it's funny. My wife had it. <laughs> when we first started dating, my wife had it at her house. Yeah. And at her apartment, 
and we were just whipping. And I was like, what is this? Milking my coffee. And I read it, and I was like, oh. And then I yeah. kind of recognized him from, from doing comedy, where our paths had never crossed. I think he's more of a generation before me, because Eric Jerome Dickey was a stand-up mm-hmm. comic. And then he stopped. what? Yeah, he was a stand. He had been a stand-up comic. He kind of, I didn't know that. He kind of played at it. That's why sometimes he references. I think well, one of the books he wrote about was a stand-up comic. Yeah, comic. that's uh, why. And he references Peter's, different comics in that. One of those books, yeah. In that book, did not know that. Yeah, and he wrote about the two couples and was the comic, mm. his friend, and then the girl he ended up marrying and her friend. And yeah, together at the end, you know. Yeah, you know, and that was—I think that was the second one I read. And uh, yeah, so she had no get my coffee. And I ended up reading that. I was like, this guy can write. <laughs> this guy, this yeah. guy can write. So yeah, I, he uh, is great. Yeah, and then I just—I read about four more of his books, and then for whatever reason, I kind of fell. Away. I should probably go back to doing that because I've—I read so much um, heavy ass non. Fiction now. He, yeah, I was just rereading this. Stanford. Yeah, beginning. that's. I've heard that's a great book. <laughs> it's it's, a lot, it's an easy read. Oh no, it's an easy read, but it's so. I'm holding up stamp from the beginning, but it's yeah. so. Uh, woo. <laughs> you yeah, know? and you're like Jesus yeah. Christ. You know, it's like, but it's so easy to read. You're like, wow, this is really fucked up. But <laughs> they make a, they make a, a stripped down version of it for for young teenagers so mm-hmm. i just ordered it for my daughter and i said okay we'll we'll start reading it together so i was like let me go back and brush back up on, on yeah i'll start reading that with her so we'll go and read that together with her yes yeah, so yeah. when i saw eric jerome dickey i was like do you feel yourself writing in the i don't know romance novels i don't even know if i would call i mean i guess it's got romance in it it's got romance in it but, but is that he the is focus of the novel I don't know. Yeah, he's really just, he's straight fiction. It does yeah. have romantic elements in his right. stories, but I wouldn't say he was a romance writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you characterize yourself as a romance writer? I am a, I, I say, I used to say I write romance and women's fiction mm-hmm. featuring black men and women. Now I just say romantic fiction. Um, because I feel like it, some of the stories are just bigger than the love story. And sometimes romance can be a little bit limiting um, as far as reader expectations. Some readers want to open a book and read boy, girl, loving each other for 367 pages. Mm-hmm. And I need, I need a whole story. I need an okay. external conflict and I need boy girl or boy boy or girl girl loving each other through external conflict and so my stories are more like my business is going under and I'm trying to work through it and I meet Jerome at the bank and Jerome thinks I'm cute and he's going to help me put Mm -hmm. my business back together and while he's helping me put my business back together we're falling in love I need I kind of need, I need, I need external. I don't, yeah. And I I feel like as far as reader expectation, when you put yourself squarely in the romance column, there's a, there's an expectation that they have when they open your book. And if that's not satisfied, then um, you get some rumblings uh, in your reviews and about the internet. And so I just, I like to set the expectation 
it's romantic fiction, it's women's fiction, um, but it, there's definitely a love story in here, and you're gonna get you're gonna the ending is gonna be satisfying. So, what was the first one? The first book I wrote had was Brunch at Ruby. Had you written a bunch of short stories like leading kind of leading up to that? Because a novel is is something to take on. You know? It was mostly I mean mostly fan fiction, but I was writing novel length fan fiction like oh, eighties okay. chapter stories, and my friends were like, "Sis, <laughs> yeah, sister, please put these five pop icons down and write something else. Right, <laughs> so right, right. Um, I started writing Run- Brunch at Ruby's in 2011. I didn't publish it until 2015 because I wasn't ready to write that story. I still I still needed to to keep writing to build my skill as a writer. I had an image of what this book was going to be in my head, but I didn't yet have the skill to put that on the page. And Nothing improves writing like writing, like writing. and yeah. reading. Read and read and read and read and keep writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I will never forget, I think, I don't know what year it was, but I was super frustrated. And I had 16 chapters of Brunch Up Rubies, and it was terrible. It was really, really awful. And I did not know how to fix it. And I remember I was on Twitter. I was actually crying and I remembered um, I had decided to stop writing um, and I had posted something about just being really sad about it because I wanted to write it, but I just didn't know how to get through. And Tayari Jones, Bomani Jones' sister, okay. sent me uh, a private message and she's like, listen, I just want you to know if you have to put this down for a minute, do that, but come back to it. Because it's in you and it's going to come out of you eventually. So just give it time. Give yourself a break. It's going to be fine. You can do this. I just I just want you to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Because she is like a hero to me. Somebody, I absolutely love look, her. Yeah, somebody you look up to. Yeah. And so like a New York Times bestselling author just right. sent me a message. Right. Little old me, it's, who it's, doesn't even have a book published. It's good validation. <laughs> yeah, and so she's like, I just take a break if you need to, but I want you to come back to this, and I want you to finish it because you can do this. And I was like, okay. Okay, I guess I'll go back to it. And so I did let it sit. I let it sit for about a year, and then we do NaNoWriMo every year in November, and I said, I am going to tear this story apart. And so leading up to NaNo, I read and read and read and read, and you just have to be conscious like when you see a comedian that you really like you're like oh i like his timing mm-hmm. i like the word he used i like pacing back and forth and building you know the cadence like i love andy's um stand up because yeah. he just he has a like a cadence like right. i kind of don't care but here's the thing um he yeah. just has a style and so i notice a writer's style and how they say things and how they paint the picture and that builds in your mind and that november i tore that book apart and I put it back together and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote from November to like February. And then I finally had something um, that I felt good about. Then I could take that and um, 
like send it to people and say, Hey, what do you think? And get feedback on it. And then, you know, make my, my changes and my edits from there. But I had to get it to a point where I liked it first. So, um, that first one took, (laughs) took a while. And to be honest, all of my full length novels, like 70,000 words or more take about a year really from first idea to, okay, I'm ready for somebody else to look at this. It's about a year or more. What's your writing style? No, I shouldn't say style. Style is the wrong word. What's your process, your writing process? So one of the things that I have learned in this last year is you, you got to know what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a thinker. I need to think. I collect little bits of information and they, they pile up in my, like a magpie. They just... I just pile up stuff in my mind and it sorts itself out eventually. So it always starts with um, a premise, like a what if um, something just pops into my mind. I'll see Leslie's Curl and Die came about because I was walking out of work and two people were talking and one lady said um, she was going to the salon that weekend (laughs) and she said her name was Leslie and by the time I got home, <laughs> yeah. Leslie Baker had ridden herself in my head. And then, and then it just kind of, did you make it, her look it, like the woman? Um, I couldn't see her. She was behind me, okay. but I heard like the tone of her voice. And so in my head, Leslie kind of popped up and sat down and said, hi, my name's Leslie Baker. I own the curl and die. I inherited it from my mom and that kind of thing. Right. It just rolls through my head until it's so loud that I got to write it down. Mm -hmm. And that's when I know I'm ready to start writing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it always starts with an idea and I really, I just have to let it build. And this last year I've been really exploring who I am, like what kind of thinker I am, how I work, because as as a self-published independent romance writer, there's a lot of people out here that are just shooting them out. Like every 30 days, every 90 days, every 60 days, they have a new book out because they can publish themselves and they don't have to wait for a publisher to tell them, well, you wrote this in 2018, but we're not going to publish this until 2022. They can publish themselves however often they want. And to keep up, you have to write that fast. And I was burning myself out trying to keep up. I've written, say I started publishing in... 2015 and I have I'm writing book number 10 mm-hmm. that's a that's a lot of books yeah to be honest yeah <laughs> Eric Jerome Dickey publishes one book a year yeah, like one book and a year so, yeah. But, yeah, on maybe. The other, but on the other side Walter Mosey writes three hours a day six days a week right <laughs> you know so yeah <laughs> right know. And but so, I don't think he publishes at that fast of a clip Mm-hmm. As much as he just sits down and writes three hours a day, writing. six days yeah. a week. Yeah. You know, I heard him on that Jamel was. Hill's podcast <laughs> talking about um, writer's block. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, writer's block's not a thing unless you've been hit in the head and you have a, you have a neurological thing. He said, it's not. Yeah. Write about something else. <laughs> and, yeah, and right. It'll come, yeah. it'll come back to, I know when I sit down at night to write, um, to write a, let's say we call it the final thought, to write the final thought um, that's going to wrap up the show, 
I, I usually it's the, the hard. You probably know this. The hardest thing is the opening sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta find yeah. out what this opening sentence is gonna be. So I will just, I'll just start writing what's in my head, silly sentences. Yeah. I'll write song lyrics sometimes, <laughs> and I'll just yeah. keep kind of writing and writing and writing. That's a good sentence. And then once I once I I can hear it echoing in my mind, I'm gonna click with that's a good sentence. Yeah. Just like a good closing sentence. I'm like, well, that's a good that's a good close. The close might be in the middle of the sentence. The last line the of a book is the worst line yeah. to write. Because you're, like, you're always like, ah, there could be more here. Yeah. But then I found that sometimes I'll go back and I'll find the last line in the first set in the first paragraph. I'm like, well, it was here. <laughs> I got, yeah. I gotta pull this out of here and put it down at the end. Yeah. And thankfully now we all write on computers. So you don't have to go and just start all over again with a new sheet of paper on a typewriter or in a pad or in a book. Yeah. Like when yeah, I write make- when I write jokes, I still write my jokes on a yellow on a yellow legal pad. Right. But when I take a line out, I here's where I fucked up early on. I would just completely scratch the line out. And I was like, I was And rewrite it? Yeah. Now I just draw a single line <laughs> through mm-hmm. the word that I don't, so I can still see the line. Mm-hmm. I can still see what it is by drawing back, because maybe I might want to put that line back in. Right. Or maybe that right. line resonates later, or maybe that line was good. I just didn't know it was it good. Throw so anything a away. Single line rather than just scratch shit out, you know. <laughs> At least with a with a computer, I can just take a sentence out and put a sentence in. Yep. I can go back and look at an old draft <laughs> on the yes. on, in the memory. <laughs> yep. You know, I don't have to. Yep. I don't have to. I don't have to fight. Yeah, I'm definitely a drafter. I would. I don't know how many. I threw away. I think 26 drafts of brunch at Ruby's. Right. Because if I change something major, I save it as a new draft. Right. If I don't like it, I can always go back to the previous draft. draft. Yeah. And start all over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just go back and just and just begin again. Now, obviously, yeah. I don't write on the level on the level that that you write. I think I'd put it out there that I was thinking about. Um, yes, and I said you needed to get on it. I don't. I don't know. It's it's such a. Uh, I don't even. It's not that it's. It's not even that it's it's hard or it's daunting or anything like that. It's just. Uh, I like to take notes about things I write about. I'm just, I don't know. Could I fill? How many pages could I fill up? How many words could I fill up? I always think about that. How many words can I fill up? Yeah. Can I do. Can I do five thousand words? That would be my goal for my first go around. Five thousand words. Right. Can I do five thousand words? It's a lot to. It's a lot to think about if you if you're thinking about the whole. Right. Like it. If you're thinking about like you can't eat an apple in one bite. Right. Bite by bite. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, and what do I want to talk about? Do I have a thousand words in me on any subject? And right. to do that, what kind of crazy studying am I going to have to do to get these to get this stuff up? As opposed to, um, did you read Damon Young's book? Um, I haven't yet. What makes you blacker? What, right. What right. you haven't yet? He's, it's on my list, but it I haven't. seems like uh, stream of thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell by reading it. He has a beginning, a middle, and an end, obviously. Right. But he's writing stream of thought for him. And I'm like, ah, I wonder, could I do that? Could I do that? I think about that kind of shit. Could I do Here's that? the thing, though. You're reading something that's been edited, edited down. To yeah. degree. Yeah. What we do is we just be typing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> type, type. Just write it because you can always fix, you can, you, you can always fix it. Once it's written. And I, I think a lot of writers are become paralyzed at the thought that it has to be 
perfect the second that they write it and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You can just type out like a bunch of ideas and then go back and fill them in later. Right. If you can, if you got a thousand words on 10 different things, that is a, well, maybe 20 different things. That's a 20,000 word book, 30 different things. That's a 30,000 word book. That's a short book. Yeah. But if it's nonfiction, it's probably not too bad for fiction. That would be a short book That's for short, nonfiction. Yeah. Not too bad, you know, um, keep piecemeal it bite by bite. It, it does not have to be perfect. The second you write it, um, because it's already going to be edited to the nth degree by the time you see it on the shelf. You never know. Like my work before editors and beta readers get to it is really, really ugly. Do you send it's your really stuff out to an, edit, to an editing team? To an editing team. I, <laughs> I send my stuff out. I have what I call what we call beta readers. Uh-huh. So they are people that are not authors who basically read they just read a lot in the genre so they can say this doesn't work that doesn't work i don't like that i happen to have beta readers that know a lot about editing and sentence structure and word structure so they will also go through and let me know what looks good what doesn't you should change this here using this word too much there Uh, i really value that because there's a lot of things that i don't i don't know shit about like sports. <laughs> so like when I'm, I'm, uh, Leslie's curl and die, the hero in that is a former NBA player. I know nothing about the NBA. I just be writing stuff. And my beta is like, um, he's too short for this position. <laughs> you need to make him like a guard or something. And I'm like, he's six, four. That's How is that yeah. short? That's She's like, in the world of basketball, that's a good. You yeah, know, that's short for <laughs> NBA. So yeah. I'm six two. I'm six two. You know, I don't. I would. I would maybe be a guard coming off the bench yeah. at six two. <laughs> you know, you have to be it exceptional. Yeah, <laughs> be exceptional. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I literally I went to NBA.com and I picked out a position. Yeah. And that's what he became. And she said he's too short for that. You got to make him a guard. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what that is. So that that uh, changes the that changes the dynamic of him as a person. Did she tell you that? No. Because a guard is a facilitator. Right. They're floor generals, and they're facilitators. Okay. (laughs) You know, so a guard would be somebody who would be. Somebody who'd be good in the business of, of organizing and getting people together and getting people to do stuff, right, yeah. work or something like that, that would be a good point guard. Right. So how so would that translate if, into someone's relationship? I wonder if I knew that because that's definitely he – he ends up running for mayor. Yeah, see, that's, see, <laughs> uh, it's funny. You said Kevin Johnson, I think former point guard for the Suns, ran for mayor. I think he was the mayor of Phoenix. I think he was. Hmm. He was a point guard. That's so interesting. He's, it's so interesting how that... His wife was the... Um, remember the woman who was the... She ran the school system in Washington, D.C., and Oprah put her on her show and was giving her all these praises. little Asian lady and Oprah was giving her all these praises and stuff like that, and then it turned out that it was just... She wasn't really doing a job. Oh, really no, I don't remember. Yeah, that was, that was his... I think that's his ex-wife. Yeah. Oprah was like, she's a warrior woman. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Yeah. You don't know what's going on in DC. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Oprah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you sit down and you uh you start with the idea and then you work the yeah. book. 
yeah. the book out and you just kind of let it flow? Just kind of let it build itself in my head. I know I'm ready to start writing when the first chapter has written itself in my mind. Yeah. And I try to, I, I'm not a planner, um, but we, we have what we call pantsers where you, you just sit down and you just write. You don't plan anything out by the seat of your pants. I've become less, uh, I didn't really plan out brunch at Ruby's. I become less of a pantser the longer that I write, because the more you know about writing, the more you're responsible for writing better. I want every book to be better. And so now I try to, I don't really plan, but I do, I have to start with my two characters. Who are they and why does anybody care? And I need a reason for people to root for them, even if they're like not pleasant people. Like one of my characters in Brunch at Ruby is not a pleasant woman, but you got to figure out why you need to care about Maxine. Mm -hmm. And so I start there and then I need my external conflict. Why are they together? Why have they met? Why do they need to be a couple? And what's stopping them from being a couple? And so there you have the nucleus of your story. And from there, it kind of, it blossoms. And I write a little, and then I think a little, and then I write a little, and then I think a little. Or or watch a lot of Law and Order and eat and just stare into space, trying to figure out what's going on between these, these people. But I have learned in the last year, that's not a process that I can rush it doesn't come to me all at once. I need to piecemeal and collect information. I need to read a lot. I need to read a lot in my in the genre that I'm writing in. Um, and it, you know, eventually I get to a, the I call it the point of no return, where I've hit the climax, and now we're all everything's kind of rolling down toward the end, and then that's when I know I'm I'm good. Um, any story can hit a brick wall before I hit the point of no return. Um, the book I'm writing right now, I started writing in 2015. I just, I hit a brick wall with it and I put it away, but I never throw anything away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I dug it back up and I said, you know what, this would be a fun project, um, because the world is on fire. So let me just write some fun black people. <laughs> Why not <laughs> living life in the world? You know, I need, and I need this escape, you know. So yeah, why not? Why why the hell not at yeah. all? You know why not? I do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I you know I read a. Lo- I'm not too big on nonfiction because um, I I like to escape. I need I I need I live in nonfiction. So I need to escape. So I read a lot of fiction, but I do read some you know nonfiction, and I need I need something. That's just a soft place to land. Right. And that I had to create that because um, another reason that I started writing romance featuring black men and women is because we were at a point where every story was about how black women can't win. Yeah, uh, sure black seen. women are yeah. the least attractive. Uh, black women and Asian men, I guess, are the least attractive. And 52% of black women will never marry. And here's what's wrong with black women. And here's what black women need to do to win black men. And I was just tired. Right, right, <laughs> I right. Attacked. Right. And so I want to read and write stories where there are black men that love them, some black women. Right. They don't play about their woman and they do what they need to do okay. to win her love. 
black women who are about their business and they don't play about their black man. And I needed, I needed that to, I guess, to fill my own well, because I wasn't getting it from external from other and, sources. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't get it right, it's your damn self. Yeah. Have you yeah. now the the self publishing process? Have you tried to publish through? I guess I mean I don't know how this shit works through a major house, Penguin or. When, I um when I finished Ruby's, I um did what's called a query. So you basically send your little proposal here. I wrote a book, and here's what it's about. Would you like to represent me to try to get an agent? Um, cause that's the best way to get a publishing contract. You can go to houses like Harlequin. They will take unagented, um, work, but, um, Harlequin, their books are so formulaic and I, I can't, I can't write within those parameters. And so I think I queried maybe less than a dozen agents mm-hmm. and I didn't like send it out mass. I looked at books that were like mine that were black fiction, women's fiction written by black authors. I looked at their agents and I queried those those agents and I got rejections almost right away. And uh, there was just a lot of, I don't think I can sell this and this isn't for me. Um, and so I kind of early on wanted to self-publish and I had people telling me, nah, don't do that, don't do that because no. It's Well, I mean, this was 2015. So self-published books in 2015 were like those really crappy um, published books that I mean, they just weren't they just weren't very good. It's in 2015, 2014. um, It wasn't the boom that it is right now. Like you could look at a self-published book and uh, a traditional published book nowadays and not be able to tell the difference. Because we have the ability now to produce books oh, to your, that. Your book covers are spectacular. I do my own covers. <laughs> Thank you. Spectacular. Thank you so much. <laughs> I do my own covers. So that's lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's the first I thing. So I appreciate hearing because that. Because that's what catches my eye. I'm a book reader. So a yeah. good book cover catches I, my I eye. I appreciate hearing that. You know, so I'm walking through a store. And I love oh, here's something interesting. Let me see yeah. what this is about. And if a cover is booty, I don't care how good that book is, I'm never gonna so I I buy a lot of books, but I'm never gonna click on a book with an ugly cover. Especially if I'm reading fiction. If I'm reading fiction, the cover needs to grab me. And yeah. You know I'm going for fiction. Absolutely. If I'm going for um, uh, you know, if I'm going for a scholarship type book or something like that, they don't matter. You can just put the author yeah. on the thing. It doesn't it, it, it needs doesn't to be matter. engaging, yeah. but yeah, yeah. but nah, yeah. you know. I know what I'm looking for, particularly if I'm looking for a certain author. I'm like, I know what I'm looking for. Just let me go get this. Yeah. If, get if this it looks book. like you made it <laughs> yeah. in Microsoft Paint, yeah. it's not happening. Yeah, it's not going to happen. If you, don't, if you don't care, I don't either. Right, right. That, that's yeah. my yeah, so, let me go get this codes book just because it says, you know, we were eight years in power. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm looking for, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm, but if it's a mm-hmm. fiction book, you know, then I want to see something that something on the cover that lets me know, okay. Yeah, people like definitely will judge you by the cover. Yeah. Right. So Unless I heard it was really good. Right. I might look past it, but you're never going to catch me with an ugly cover. So Since yeah. you're in Atlanta, you thought about plying your trade at the house of Tyler? <laughs> no. 
Now, for one, I'm I'm not a screenwriter. Yeah. I don't write for TV or film, which is I think a, a whole different because you've never written for the screen. It'll make you not a screenwriter. Um, it's a whole. Somebody, it's a different. Somebody told skill. me the, Ray Sani told me the exact same thing. The thing, well, the thing about screenwriting is that when is that everything has to happen um, through dialogue right. and. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just it's a it's a whole different kind of writing. Um, I mean, I probably could do it. I just don't want to. Yeah, well, I mean, it's no big deal. Tyler, Tyler is writing for him his damn self. He ain't hiring nobody. So yeah, <laughs> I also don't really like. I'll watch a Medea movie yeah. here and there. I don't really watch. I don't watch his shows. Yeah, That's I don't watch is, movies. So. I really admire his hustle. Agree. And I admire his work ethic. And I admire the fact that he puts people on, mm-hmm. you know, actors and stuff like that. Yeah. I could do, I mean, he ain't putting no writers on, so. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he, you know, he does a lot of, of, his, of work in yeah. the community here. Yeah. yeah. His work is very formulaic. Yeah, you know, so I'm with all that, but his work is, is can be formulaic. Yeah. And uh, But the formula works. And I don't yeah. know if you watched uh, Black as Fuck on Netflix. I don't know if you caught that, but Tyler's on one of the episodes. I freeze. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Now, you, yeah, you're fine. Did I freeze? I must have frozen. Now I froze on her end. Come on. I'm waving at her. Now she froze. Okay, I'm here. Sorry. There we go. Now I have, okay, can you see me waving? Come on. Yeah, see? Now I froze on her end again. I'm waving at her. Okay. I'm here. There you go. Right. You back. You see me waving. Hey. Sorry. <laughs> did you see it's Black Connection did you, lost? Did you see when Tyler was on Black as Fuck? No. Yeah. See, he's I on. He's on an episode all. of Black as Fuck. It, was, it doesn't pick up until like the third one, but by the third one forward, it's. I loved it. By the third one forward. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a guy who writes, Kenya Barris is a. He's another guy who really devotes himself to his writing, and mm-hmm. uh, Tyler gave a long thing about it's a little bit of a monologue where he goes to Tyler to talk about being a black filmmaker and Tyler's mm-hmm. like I, I make movies for my community and and if you know and I make movies for people who and and I've been successful because I don't look for the eyes of other people and if they don't like it I could I could give a fuck and it's funny hearing Tyler Perry cuss <laughs> it's fantastic he's like I could give a fu- I could give a fuck I don't I care love that. <laughs> I don't care what these people are doing <laughs> yeah I mean you know. I I'm I'm a hundred percent there um, yeah. especially uh, it's a thing that Tayari Jones says all the time you take care of your audience if you write for black women take care yeah, of right them for black women yeah yep and and th- because they will always hold you up and um, Tyler writes for the black community that likes his movies and his shows and you know so he gives them what they want nothing wrong yep <laughs> you don't have to like it so don't yeah, yeah. don't it. don't watch it and if, right. if you don't watch it it's probably not for you and that's okay right. and it's okay <laughs> yeah. I mean there's three million things on TV right now watch something right. else right or go watch another episode of Law and Order it's always on. Yeah. Oh, I love how your search says writer-ish. I need to get Yes, I wore this on purpose. Yeah, I need to get that. Writer-ish. I use my hashtag, Black Writers Writing. Sometimes when I yeah. post the Black Writers Writing. I'll send you the, the link, one of my author Girl, friends. I can't see your face. Pull the camera back. Now I'm just Sorry. looking at writer-ish. Sorry. <laughs> um, where do you see yourself going with your writing? What do you... 
I guess what do you want out of writing is a bad question because you write to write. You write because you yeah. have it in you. So, yeah. I mean, shit, I know that. You write because yeah. I have you in you. Like, I never thought I would be, I never in a million years thought I would be paid to write stuff. Really? Yeah, in a million years. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought that. I'm a reader. I've been reading since I was about three. Mm-hmm. But I've never sat down to try to write anything until I started writing jokes for my friend and then for myself mm-hmm. at 30 years old. Mm-hmm. You know? And, mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of, my joke telling style is, is I'm more of a storyteller than a setup punch, setup punch. I don't, and it show it reflects in my writing because I don't write like mm-hmm. that either where I don't, I don't do quick things. I, I build yeah. and then I get to it. You got to build the story up. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so I never in a million, I never in a million years, even when I was asked to join the show, I was like, for what? I don't, I don't do that. Andy does that. Andy's good at that. I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm more of a performer than anything else. Mm-hmm. But um, I had been writing up to that point. Mm-hmm. I'd been writing stuff on blogs. I'd been writing stuff online yeah. for people to read. I had been writing, I had been writing things, but I had been writing things because my therapist was like, yeah, you should probably write that down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It has to come out. Yeah. You should, you should write that down somewhere. You know, the, mm-hmm. all these things that you feel as a black man, you carry things around inside of you and you don't emote them out. Yeah. For whatever reason, and then you either go to therapy or you drive a car off a bridge. One of those two. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly why I started writing because yeah. it has to it has to come it has out. To come out, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't want it to come out sideways on my wife or my daughter. So, Agree. So I started writing it on on in uh, blogs and little missives online, and then here we are. Yeah. You know, and, and, writing your ass writer. So now, yeah. So now I'm like, well, uh, I guess I'm a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm a writer. So what do I do with it? That's I think is is what I'd be want to ask you is, what do you do with it? What do you want to do with it other than what you're doing? It seems like a I don't know if it seems like a is that a pretentious question? I don't think it's pretentious. No, I I I mean I mm-hmm. I like I I think about this all the time because I'm in this situation where I I write some books and they make a little bit of money like they make enough money to send me on a vacation right and I'm always thinking about if I had to live off of my writing I would live at Piedmont Park right because my books don't make any money so (laughs) it's like like a literal park (laughs) yeah I will live like in a refrigerator box in Piedmont Park And so I always have to think if I want this to be a career where I could live off of it, I got to do this and this and this and this. And I don't want to do all that. I just want to write books. And so my my plan right now is to just write books. I want to get to 20 books because I got friends out here that are writing book number 56. So I ain't doing much of nothing, really. Well, I mean, (sighs) damn it. (laughs) Oh, you got a little freeze? Don't worry about it. Uh, It'll be okay. Sorry about it. Don't worry about it. All right. um, I must be freezing and you're not freezing because I can see you. It just says connection lost, but I'm here. Yeah. So so my goal is to get to 20 books and then kind of assess where I'm at. I'm going to write and work full time until I retire. And then I'm going to write full time because I'll be living off of 401k and pension and all of that. But 
you know, I have a job that allows me to be very lax about yeah. my writing life. I can take a year to write a book because my books aren't paying the bill. Yeah, because you have so, a good job. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so that's where my, my energy goes toward the job. I get up and I work 40 plus hours a week at my job so I can keep it. So, you know, because I like insurance and 401k and benefits and all that. And then in, in my free time, I, I write books. I don't, I was thinking this morning on my walk, I don't want to be famous. I would like to be rich. Yeah. I wouldn't mind being well known, but what comes with that is that ed- added layer of criticism right. that I feel like I don't want any parts of. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want to hit that, that corner of the internet that runs to your books to one star it because they didn't like something you said on your Instagram. No, well, that's going to, that's going to happen. I don't want to hit that corner. But that's the thing that Tyler was talking about. Yeah. Is writing the books for your fans. You build yeah. your fan base. And mm-hmm. then you can say, yeah, I got a one-star review. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you right. can say yeah. it, too. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I already can't, can't look at them, so these people I just think. I don't give look. a fuck what these people think. I know right. that the people who come to me like like what it is I do. I've often yeah. said that if I could just do stand-up uh, four shows a week, which who the hell knows when this is going to happen again. Mm-hmm. But let's say four four shows a week and put 500 people in each show at Fifteen twenty dollars ahead. Right. Be more forever. Yeah, I'd be more yeah. than I'd be more than yeah. happy doing that. I don't need. If I could write. Yeah. Two books a year for the next ten years and have people just love the hell out of them and like three people would be like, eh, wasn't yeah. for me. I yeah. do not. Yeah. yeah. That would be great. I mean, yeah. that's really like the minimum. That's all I want. That's right. all. That's right. All. And if people and other people who don't like it, you know, so I got a fan base that likes what I do, and that's enough. Right. You know. But I also, some part of me wants to have that book that's like, the wow. You want to be able to block this on a Pulitzer. Yeah, you yeah. want to Pulitzer. You want to write a Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't, um, I don't want everything else that comes with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but you also got to think like Stephen King does not give a fuck if you like his books. I know. Well, that's You got to get to that point where you don't care. He has a, he has a fan base and his fan base <laughs> right. comes to him. And I think it started with Salem's Lot. I don't think it was Salem's Lot was his first book. I think I was a, I started reading Stephen King when I was in high school, and I think mm-hmm. it was Salem's Lot. Right, was his first book. book scared the piss out of me. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. But he doesn't begin his day with mm, that last book. Oh, thirty-seven people didn't like it. Right. Well, I need right. to. Right. I need to get to that point, and I become. If you've never read his book on writing. It's it's good. I yeah, uh, that's probably the first um, the book, book that I read about right. writing. Yeah, yeah, it was really good, and I recommend it to everybody who asks, "What should I read right. about writing?" Always Stephen King on writing. It's really Stephen good. King on writing, and then I've gotten I've had recommendations come to me from other people, as far as putting stuff down. Yeah, on the paper, but most of it, most of everybody's advice, you know, it always comes back to just sit your ass down and write write some words on a page. I read. <laughs> Such as down. Write and read and take in art and you know, right. like I was saying, you gotta figure out what kind of person you you are. Do you collect information or do, are you just a straightforward just shove it out and think about it, come back and change it? Um 
because in in my in my whole regular life, I'm the type of person that I need to think about that. Yeah. It, like you just bought a um, an air fryer, right? Yeah, it's just got here. <laughs> right. So <laughs> just in like here. 2019, I was gonna buy an air fryer, but I I need to think about that. I need to gather information. So I've on my websites and this and that and compare this and that because I want the best I can get for the least amount of money. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of person. So I don't know what makes me think I can pop up at 6am and pound out 2,700 words that I, I haven't, I haven't thought about. I haven't had a chance to marinate. And I was getting frustrated because my writer friends are like, Oh, I got up at six. I just pounded out like 2,700 words, whatever. And then sat down and wrote 4,000 words, whatever. But how many of those words are good? They don't care. They don't care. I care. Yeah, <laughs> so, how many of those words are good? I know a lot of people like that. I've written 50 jokes. Did you? You think so? <laughs> yeah, because that, and that's fine because that's their process. Because yeah. when they hit the stage, they only hit the stage with the jokes that work. Right, right, right. So right. when that book publishes, only the words that are good are published. Right, right. So Schubert the difference talks about between that. is... I have to I have to think about those words first and I that has to build itself in my head before I put it down on paper and being true to that process and who I am as a writer and who I am as a person helps me finish books and not trying to be I'm not trying to be Ta-Nehisi Coates out here I'm not trying to be well, Terry Millen out here You know it's funny you should say that you kind of are trying to be Ta-Nehisi now I don't I, my good friend Ta, uh, <laughs> my good friend Ta, oftentimes says like the part of the reason why he left Twitter was because he is the kind of guy, just like you, mm. and me, that he needs to think for a long period of time about the uh-huh. what is this thing that I'm trying to write, yeah, and then I have to sit down, but I got to think about it for a long period of time, yeah, so. I have taken to trying to find him talking about things on podcasts. Like I just listened to him on Ezra Klein's podcast a couple of weeks ago. I don't know why he didn't call me and tell me he was doing this, but I listened He's a good to friend. On Ezra Klein's podcast. And at one point he'll even say, Ezra Klein asked him, what do you think the role is of government? And he was like, well, that's a good question. And then he, he actually said, I'm thinking about this as I'm answering you. So I yeah. don't know if this answer might change later. But, mm-hmm. you know, so being that kind of person as yourself is, and I'm that same way too. The last piece I wrote for myself was the one about being angry. And I had thought about that for days after yeah. George Floyd died. And then finally I said, okay, I think I can get it out now. And it came yeah. out like, came out in like seven minutes because I had been thinking about it thinking about it. think about it. Yeah. And go back. And I didn't, I by thinking about, it, I mean, I hadn't thought about how I was going to put the structures and the sentences together and all that. I just had an idea of fuck. I'm yeah. mad. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yes. that's like, what to say. Don't worry mm-hmm. about anything else. Say that. And then whatever comes mm-hmm. behind that will be the truth of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I assume fiction is probably the same way. It's like when you yeah. heard that woman's voice, you were like, "Okay, I know I want to tell a story about her." Yeah. Yes, what it just story. Yeah. I'll just sit down and start writing, and the story will come. Yeah. You know, yeah. you kind of want to remind me now of Octavia Butler. Do you know who she is? 
I do, yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, she's one of only, I think, maybe, I don't want to, maybe the only black woman who's won the Nebula Award the, uh, for science fiction. Maybe. Probably. Maybe I have to look that up. You know, like yourself, she was just writing for herself mm-hmm. and working and writing and working and then she wrote uh, Kindred. I think Kindred was the first one I really put. I started with her short stories because her short stories, mm-hmm. but any of her stories are fantastic, but it's the thought of write for yourself, write for your write for your audience and let the world catch up to you. Yeah. And hope that the world catches up to yeah. you. And they might not, but yeah. my rule is it doesn't leave my computer until I like it. Right. So if I am the only person that ever likes it, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. Like I always tell my young writer friends, you need to be nice to you because some days you're the only person that's going to be nice to you. Right. So nothing leaves my computer until I like it. And as long as I like it, whatever you have to say about it, cool. Yeah. Ooh, but girl, I, I, like. girl, I still send I send stuff out, and I'm like, gosh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> time's running out on me. Though I gotta send this out. Oh <laughs> this my is, goodness! This, yeah. is, this is shit. <laughs> time's running out. Well, you have deadlines and stuff. Yeah, so and then you, people will come you back. Can't mull over it for three days. Yeah, people will come back. And be like, that's good. I'm like, oh. <laughs> right. So. But you also because you know the caliber of writing that you can produce. Yeah. And this also frustrates me. Like, I know I can do better than this. Right. But right now, in this moment, I can't. Right. And I'm really pissed off about it. So. And comedians have a yeah. thing where we tag jokes. Like, we'll mm-hmm. tell a joke. The joke I, t- I say on January 1, it might be completely different on December 31st of the same year. Mm-hmm. You know? So you don't get to do that after you've written a book and then you go back and read like I could have I got a line in my head you know because I'm constantly doing that so you have to try to figure out a way to do that quickly and you're like I can't one book I read was like the big thing was uh, editing I got a book on writing for nonfiction and uh, writing for nonfiction and the big part of it is you want to write for nonfiction and you got to read fiction yeah. <laughs> you, know, you read read fiction, write for nonfiction. Yeah, because a lot of nonfiction is it's storytelling, but you don't recognize it as, as a story. Storytelling, right? Not not just a weather report. You gotta. Right. That's why I love NPR because they they build like the whole story, right. whatever it is they're 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 talking about. It's not just blah 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 blah, blah like a news story. It's like it's a whole it's a yeah. whole thing story yeah and they put a soundtrack behind it yeah <laughs> yes and they're talking very close to the microphone very very in a close. very soothing voice this is NPR this is NPR <laughs> I want to thank whispering? I want to thank you for doing this with me today I really appreciate this oh you've given me stuff to think about um, thank you so much I was I'm like a, I was really nervous all day <laughs> I was like mama nervous. I made it <laughs> nothing to be nervous about nothing to be a girl I'm the one who made it I I can't I can't believe that people let me do this with them. I can't believe <laughs> that people listen to our podcast. I can't believe that people read the shit I write down. I'm so I'm always pleased yes. with somebody who wants to do this with me. Always. It is it is a it is a good thing. And it is a good whatever thing. Whatever reason I don't think I've ever missed with the people that I've brought on as far as Yeah. As interesting content. So we may have to do this again. Whenever I this next would love book it. done. 
<laughs> next time we'll we'll talk about some ratchet shit. <laughs> I tell everybody at some point. We'll get Let me get into some, some first. We'll get to talk about some ratchet <laughs> shit at one point. Thank you again, Dominique. I really appreciate Thank you, you doing this so much. Me. I you appreciate it. Shut, let, let the people know how they can get a hold of your stuff. I am at here. book. Do what? That's why we're here to sell oh, it. Oh, uh, booksbydalewhite.com is my website. Mm-hmm. You can get at me there. Um, you can send me an email there. All my um, social media is linked there. I'm on Instagram at author underscore DL White. On Twitter at author underscore DL White. That's my writer account. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Facebook at books by DL White. So I'm I'm everywhere. If you find me one place, you I I kind of duplicate um, wherever I am. I'm on Pinterest, but I hate Pinterest. So don't follow me there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um and get yeah. On Twitter, under, underneath the handle of Pretty Young Bitch. Underneath the account is the Kirby Jones. Oh, you changed yeah. it? Okay, because you changed it. You had that for a while. No, it's still it's the Kirby Jones, but the handle is a pretty pretty young, young bitch. Pretty young Love bitch. It. <laughs> Love, love it. I got to rewatch American Pimp. Oh God, it's so, uh, it's so good. <laughs> it is good. It is good. So, good. so and I somebody also found um, somebody can, found an, a YouTube of Kenny Red now. Yeah, you yeah. guys talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, somebody found it. It's in like Vegas or something. Yeah, he's living in Vegas, still pimping. I don't know now. I don't know how you pimping in the virus. <laughs> they probably don't care. <laughs> you gotta care. And, it. <laughs> oh, it's funny you say that. I just saw a, a woman I follow on, um, uh, what is her name? She was the Wu-Tang's manager for years. Uh, and she just wrote a book called The Baddest Bitch in the Room. She's a mm. she's a small Asian. I can't. I follow her on Twitter. She's a small Asian. I follow her on Twitter and Instagram. And I heard her on I heard on Jamil Hill's podcast. And I started I started following her, and mm-hmm. she's been she was the Wu Tang's manager for years and years and years. And she's in in music. And she just put a video up today that I just got some some Corona dick. Oh my god! Because she was like, because she had been talking about. No, this is a grown woman. She's well into her fifties, right. and she was like, this this uh. This pandemic is really putting a so she talked about the whole process. Like we yeah, had to come yeah, in, had yeah. to take a shower, a lot of questioning. We wore masks during the whole thing. It was Ugh. great. <laughs> she was like, it was, it was. so much. It's just so much to go through for dick. Ugh. But she was like, you know, because that's she, you know, she's like, it's part of my life. It's a new world. Not gonna I mean, so what are we gonna, gonna do? Are we just not gonna do this? Right. We're going to do this. <laughs> So, oh my goodness! Here's what the I don't want it that bad. Oh well, she's at. Well, we're all on different levels. <laughs> <laughs> she really had to have it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's in you know, how long had it been? Was there a timetable? I told you I can get you into some ratchet shit. You see how? <laughs> see how easily I got you into talking about ratchet shit? You see how I did that? <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> Thanks so if much. I can take this. a second yes, to absolutely. plug um, my book cast i don't have a podcast but it's called the book cast so i'm trying to use a different medium to attract new readers and give readers um a little something for free so i have like my little holiday shorts in december i'll do like a little short like i don't know ten thousand word story to release in december um it's just like a feel-good punch to take out the year i've recorded my holiday shorts and uploaded them to the book cast you can get to that through my website it's books by dl slash book cast and 
Um, it's a super unprofessional reading of my shorter works. Um, my longer works are professionally read and you can get those on audible, but the bookcast is free. And on my next book, I'm going to release first through the bookcast and then in paperback, uh, and ebook. So if people are interested in hearing some books for free, I read them. I don't sound too bad. They will be interesting. So, come- I bought a mic and taught myself how to edit a little bit. So, and that's and that's the beginning. <laughs> I'm coming for Andy Klein, <laughs> you like want- an alkaline protege over you, you here. Don't want, you don't want those problems. <laughs> no, I don't want that. You're right. You're right. I don't want that smoke. <laughs> you don't want those problems. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dominique. Thank Beale, you, right? Kirby Jones, pretty young bitch. We appreciate <laughs> you as always for doing this for us. Thanks so much. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with you. I, I hope did to do a- it again. I hope to do it. Absolutely. Again. Hit me up anytime. Through. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, dear. All right. <laughs>